Welcome to Duffin. Um, it's episode number seven zero. Uh, almost four years by May, I think. Yeah, I think we're no, we're no part of the history now. I think you know. <laughs> I think if if we started a bit earlier, we would have been on that golden record that we sent on Voyager. I mean, we are like that level important to the you know humanity these days. Our podcast. Um, in case you know you don't you didn't realize um, the people who are listening, you know, you're, you're part of a phenomenon now. It has been going on for four years. Is that enough bullshit? I think. Or, I think what you <laughs> want to say is that this 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 podcast will be the future NFT. Yeah, exactly. The one and only. <laughs> each you know. each episode is going to be one NFT. Each episode. Yeah. Uh, or maybe maybe each just track. You know, two, each track. Two, exactly. Each, each track. track. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, prepare to. Um, uh, sell your belongings and uh, you know buy our NFT shit on uh, <laughs> with your whatever the crypto coin that that fancies uh, you know the Doge coin. We only accept yeah, Doge coins. Yeah, yeah, the Doge to the moon. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, we're Doji people. We're not cat people. You know, we're not cat coins. Yeah, yes, fuck the cat yeah. coins. You yeah. know, sorry, they just true. don't they just don't move it for me. But yeah, Doge I think we we. We got to take a stand, right? I mean, yeah. the world is polarized between cats and dogs, and we are—we know dogs are better. There is one thing that we agree on, right? Yeah, Apart from true, you know, you using inferior editors and you know, all of the crap. But, yeah. <laughs> well, we could, we could, we could re, we could re, rethink this—the the the sort of the subcontext of the podcast now. Like it was a vegetarian yep. closure vegetarian podcast, but now it can be a closure vegetarian dog loving podcast. Yeah, that number is all one, NFT. Number one. The number one. <laughs> number one. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> you're the vegetarian podcast. They're a band like cats and fuck those guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, so on that um, happy note, um, <laughs> so we, I think in the, in the last couple of episodes, we have this trend of, you know, bringing back our guests again. So on that, um, we are, we're not breaking the tradition, at least not in this episode. So we brought back um, Yonadan all the way from uh, Israel. And um, I think last time we spoke a lot about uh, clips, clips, and then this explorative programming, uh, all sorts of weird stuff. So please go and look at, or not not look at, listen to that episode first, because otherwise you're missing, you know, a lot of content already. But now, I'd like to welcome you back on the episode and, and to the podcast. Hello, Yonathan. Hello, Ray, DJ. Great Hello. to be here again. Hello. Yes. Yes. Well, you've you've been a busy boy, haven't you? You know, you're not just uh, you aren't just sticking with clips. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Someone uh, asked me what is the connection between clips and uh, data-oriented programming, and I was, what the <laughs> fuck? What, what, why should it be a, be a connection? <laughs> but the question sticked on my mind, and then suddenly I found the connection. Uh, oh, so they're right then. <laughs> probably, you know, it's uh, when you ask a dumb nice. question, that's the best way to to, to stick to capture uh, someone's attention. Hey, that's that's our job, asking dummy questions. I mean, <laughs> yeah. don't 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 put the responsibility to other people. <laughs> so someone already did one question less to ask. Dag nabbit, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll definitely be having lots more of stupid questions as we go along. Okay. Yeah. Right. So, so first, let's uh, let's get started. So, um, so what have been what have you been up to these days? Because uh, you know, we know Clips is one of the um, amazing piece of work that you've done that has been now, I think, practically used in most of the website these days. If they want to show off any 
any closure stuff. Um, and and the, the second thing that you're talking about is the data-oriented programming. So what about it? And what, what are you working on in closure world these days? Uh, in closure, uh, I work full-time for a closure company in Israel, one of the few closure companies in Israel. <clears throat> in the uh, in the domain of cyber, you know, smart people from Israeli army that takes all the secrets from uh, how to defend <laughs> or how to attack uh, terrorists, and they make a lot of money out of it. Okay. <laughs> so, so I'm not as smart as those guys, but I'm a decent closure developer. And for some reason, they decided to use closure which uh, I was really happy to discover. And uh, mm. so that's what I'm doing most of my day. I'm lucky so to- So you're, you're fighting terrorism with closure. Is that the headline news? Mm, not fighting <laughs> terrorism, but uh, actually it's, it's more um, threatening industries and scary them Ooh. that they could be Attacked by terrorists or uh, oh, I see. competitors, okay, okay. and now and they <laughs> you're, should you're, use our tool to protect themselves. Okay, I see. <laughs> but you, but it's slightly better than you know. Are you fighting that? Are you fighting terrorism? No, actually, this is actually you know internal catering application <laughs> <laughs> that, that we are, that we are trying to figure out. The company is ordering pizzas from my application. <laughs> so, well, close close enough. <laughs> fighting terrorism by providing pizzas. <laughs> but yeah, cool. But what stack do you use, by the way? Is is it a top secret or is it something that you can um, announce um, no, publicly can, on this? No, no, uh, I, I can know, announce hugely uh, popular podcast. Yes, yes, I can announce. It's, it's dangerously po dangerously <laughs> popular. <laughs> popular. <laughs> yeah. So, so the yeah. company is called Psychognito. And uh, wow. they they provide something that they call attack surface management. Mm. So they mm -hmm. they uh, the customers are you know big big enterprise that have millions of assets online, and, yep. and they simply yep. don't know what they have, or even if they know, they don't have any tool to manage all the assets and the the security uh, hole that they, they might have. So that's the attack surface surface of a, yeah. of a company and psychognitos kind of uh, detect automatically what are all the assets of a company and they do it 80% uh, automatically and that's quite a, okay. a, a nice algorithm just by having the name of a company the technology is able to discover the graph from one node mm. to another oh. node to another node and say and discover all the assets that belong to the company, and then find the vulnerabilities. So that's hmm. that's uh, the, the product. But yeah, this is a this is a domain that we haven't heard much of closure, right? In the cybersecurity area, this this must be yeah. something novel, at least. Yeah. Well, if you listen to the most recent episode of Cognicast, uh, my friend Mia. I don't. Um, who was uh, a great impersonator? Uh, not. Uh, she. She. She mentioned that she's working for a, a cybersecurity company as well. Oh, that's also closure. Also yeah, closure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So I think. That, but but is it is it really like core cybersecurity thing, or yeah, is it actually yeah, 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 one of yeah. those uh, proper proper you know like Cisco internal yeah, yeah, yeah. internal task management system? Or no, something. no, Cisco. Oh. Cisco proper oh. like 
Oh yeah, yeah. Cisco. Yeah. I think we know Cisco have been using it for a long time, right? Yeah. It's a uh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, Actually, coming it's, it's back to they split. They split the 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 part that deals properly with the vulnerability detection is written in Python. And, okay. And the part that analyzes and parses all the data and makes sense and builds the graph is written in, in Clojure. Okay. So they nice. can afford the slow bits for the uh, vulnerability detection then. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice. Yeah. But, but how, how big how big is the team actually? Uh, around, I would say, 40 developers, something like that. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. And uh, so, so back to the Vijay's original question: What kind of tech? What kind of tools do you use? Um, closure tools. What what kind of stack you've got there? Or is it just all home built stuff? No, home built mm. stuff. And right now we are integrating uh, Mali. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We we have actually a very nice uh, habit. W once every two weeks, we we do a, a meetup internally, mm -hmm. and. Once it's an internal, uh, it's an employee that gives the, the lecture and every other two weeks, it's some, someone from the outside. So we brought okay. Christophe Grand, we brought Timothy, and we brought uh, Tommy to talk about Mali. And next week we'll right, have nice, uh, nice. Babashka. And it's, uh, uh -huh. it's quite interesting. It's, it's uh, really exciting to have uh, people give, uh, you know, Stars from the closure community gives talk yeah. for 30 mm -hmm. minutes of an hour. We had Frederick Peshansky, a French uh, mm -hmm. academic. Uh, so it's mm -hmm. uh, quite, uh, I like it. Nice. Mm, yeah, very good. So the, yeah. And that's, that's what triggered the integration of the adoption of Mali after he gave his talk and explained what's mm. the benefits of Mali and why it's better than spec. Etc. We mm. we decided to adopt it. It's the new way of uh, promoting open source. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, I I used to work in India in one of the big names, uh, one of the um, yeah Oracle and these big companies, and we we used to have that as well, like weekly, uh, not not weekly, but the monthly special guest coming in. I, I know Google does that a, a lot as well. Mm -hmm. um, Sometimes completely non-technical people, like physicists or you know somebody, mm -hmm. just to inspire people, which is just pretty cool. I mean, I mean, when you're at that scale, it's much easier to get those people. <laughs> but if you're a startup with two guys and or two girls sitting somewhere, then asking you know Neil deGrasse Tyson to come up and then give a lecture about <laughs> Pluto, you know, <laughs> that that that's going to be like an unreachable target. But this is, this is super cool, by the way. And if, but 40 people, 40 developers um, mostly working in Clojure, or is it a division between Python yeah, and Clojure? Yeah, I would say 80% uh, Clojure and 20% uh, Python. Wow. So is, is it the, like the biggest Clojure company in, the, in, in, sorry, no, in Israel? No. In Israel, there is one big company called AppsFlyer. I know if you heard of Yeah, yeah, them. yeah. I know, I know. So, yes. so there are, I think, 300 Clojure developers or something like that. Wow! Wow! Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. I remember because I think they uh, we we had a couple of speakers from Apps Flyer for Dutch Closure Day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was, uh, but they, those are ad ad companies, right? They're, those are mobile ads. And mobile ad companies, something yes. like that. 
analytics. Yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. So nice. what I mean in your company now you've got like you've you've went from you know one to two to five to ten to twenty to thirty or developers and your it seems like you're around you're op operating around a particular product. You know how 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 um, agile do you find closure? Be, maintains itself or how how what are you doing to maintain closure's kind of agility in the face of scale have you had to make some like some big decisions or some design choices that help so, you there? so first of all it's uh, you know it's a data pipeline the core of the right. the product is a data pipeline so it's split in uh, multiple services so each piece of right, software right, is, is right. not too big. Right, um, that's good. It's already a good decision then. Yeah. Yes. And the struggle is uh, when we need a kind of an understanding of the schema, either mm. for, you know, when the developer starts coding, and of course there is no documentation, no, nothing, because good code doesn't need to be documented. No, and absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <Yeah>. Sure. <laughs> And then you, you don't know what you have in hand. You have, uh, you know, an IP. Probably it's a map, but what are the fields in the map? You need to put a breakpoint or something and, or open up the REPL and, and discover example by example and guess what is the, the model. And uh, sometimes mm. it's uh, painful, I would say. The mm. dynamism and the flexibility of, of closure, you know, sometimes it's... Uh, it's painful, and especially when it's nested, when you have a full hierarchy, you have yeah. a map and a nested field and another nested field, and then you don't remember at what level of the nesting you are, and you make stupid mistakes, and you forget to put something in a, in a vector, and it doesn't work, and you don't understand why. So I, I hope that <laughs> Mali would be uh, helpful, uh, one, for right, documenting, right, right. and two, even yeah. for catching... Uh, uh, locally, structural when we develop, kind of issues. Yeah. Yes, when you just forget a field or pass the bad field or bad type or whatever. Mm, mm, mm. So that's. But you didn't use any specs uh, for this one, or no, 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 we don't use specs. You, you haven't looked into these things, okay? No. And what's interesting is that there is, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure that Mali is going to solve that, but there is, mm -hmm. for Psychognito, there is one big data model that is shared across the dozens of services. You know, an IP yeah. is the same, whether it's uh, by this producer, by this worker, by the app, by this or that, an IP will always have the same field and the same semantics. And we are looking okay. for ways to put the schema somewhere, but not inside the mm -hmm. app. We don't want to have the, the schema as code. No. We want to have the no. schema yeah. in a file that somehow is going to be shared between all the services or maybe a la carte, each service mm. would, maybe we have a file for IP, a file for domain, and file for IP ranges and somehow aggregate. So it's uh, an interesting uh, challenge. Federation of So of you're schema. thinking something like a, yeah, like a schema registry. I mean, usually in the, in the big data world or in, in Kafka, for example, you, you try to have like a schema registry where you register all the schemas, and then each application is pulling mm -hmm. some 
you know, specific parts. So, but they so have you, they have that in Mali actually. They have a like a oh, different types of schema registers that you can you can register things and have different kind of um, yeah, different kind of models around what those registers what registries look like. But, uh, oh, yeah, so, so that means you can you can run it as a service separately, or is it part of the same application? Well, you can always run anything as a service, can't you? you, know, you yeah. it's just data. It's so not, it's just data, so you can store it somewhere. Yeah. that you can pull on it's up to you how yeah. to run it you know there is a in-memory registry that you just you know like like spec you just def into you know yeah 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 but um but yeah you can definitely run a service with it as well okay but then we need to be careful because mali allows you to put predicates as code hmm. and and I, i'm not sure it's in our if for our use case it's going to be a good practice because we hmm. want the schema to be static but that's and true of spec isn't it yeah yeah. yeah, for for spec even more, hmm. but but maybe something like you know JSON schema or in the spirit of JSON schema is maybe more appropriate. Yeah. I don't I don't know. Hmm. We are uh, we are interesting. We are experimenting, and I think something that interesting. Although Python is is a, a small part of our uh, tech stack, but we always think generically. So the Code hmm. when even when the code is written in closure, when services communicate, they don't communicate with Eden. We prefer to communicate with JSON to be uh, yeah, more JSON, friendly yeah. from non-closure uh, code. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, you know, yeah. from and it gives you choices. Also, Give, yeah, it gives you implementation choices, I guess, as well. Then yes, and for tooling also, Eden is great, but it's not. Uh, you don't have tools for. Uh, Passing Eden or observing Explore Eden it, in the yeah. browser yeah. or exploring, so, mm -hmm. um, so, so that's. Well, come, come, what, what about? Um, I mean, we saw we were talking about this before, but you know the um, the graph sort of concept because you know everyone is like, well, there, there was a lot of buzz um, a few years ago around um, GraphQL from Facebook, and then you know there's different libraries popping up. Um, from the closure world, you know, from New Bank and from um, and from uh, Walmart, you know. So, is that something also you looked at? You've looked at this um, like graph graph type. Uh... Yeah, we have integrated uh, La Signa, the GraphQL mm -hmm. uh, Walmart uh, implementation. Um, yeah. And. I don't know if, if I like it or not because it's uh, the GraphQL is too is very very rigid. Uh, right. For for example, if you have, uh, you cannot say I have a map and I don't know what are the fields. Even in yeah, somewhere, yeah. even if you know I don't know ninety percent of the fields, but somewhere you have, for example, uh, um, not a DNS record, but uh, a record with forgot the name, not a DNS. Registrar with, you know, arbitrary fields, and that's life. Yeah, there yeah. are uh, in the I forgot the name where you register a domain. You have to. Pick, I can. You have a yeah, like yeah. a map of data, and you don't know a priori what are the fields. And GraphQL does not yeah. allow you to to express that to say I have just a JSON. So you do mm -hmm. uh, either you say okay I have a string and I and the client will parse it as JSON. Or I have a, a list of tuples where, yeah, but it's not really a map, and it's it's pain in the ass. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. But it's GraphQL like, it's is very is, rigid. It's the, very, very rigid. It, because it, it requires schema, right? I mean, you need to de define yeah. the schema up front to, to put the stuff in GraphQL and then query it back. And also, you are not allowed in the, let's say, in the JavaScript where you build the query, if you build from mm -hmm. a front end or closure script, there is no real way to manipulate yep. the query as data. You have either the string, the mm. GraphQL syntax, which is amazing, and it's not JSON, it's something <laughs> very human readable. Yeah, somewhere in the middle. <laughs> but you yeah. cannot manipulate it programmatically. It's the same pain as SQL. You can pass into yeah. an abstract syntax tree, and then you cannot manipulate. And if you just want to yeah. say, okay, I have two queries, and I want to compose into one, you cannot do that. You have to do it statically and, and have yeah. a file and a query and have a webpack process that compiles the file and create a JavaScript object. <laughs> so, yeah. so I guess, you know, the, the, the other, the final one is the, the RDF. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which I guess is like the, the Datomic, uh, crooks, uh, yeah. you know, the whole data log type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe that's what we should be getting excited about. Maybe. Yeah. Why not, no, though? I mean, you know, and I'm not joking know. about that because to, because to me, I mean, you know, Mali is a bit like that, um, you know, and I think having like, uh, uh, we'll come on to the book that you've written, but, you know, having like loose, loosely defined entities, you know, entity attribute uh, value type things seems like a perfect model yes. because it's super yes. flexible, you know. Did you, uh, do you, do you guys know... Uh... Oh, this guy from Brazil that created an awesome library called, um, his name is Walker Lucio. And the library Oh, is, yeah, Patum. Yeah, Patum, yeah, Patum. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. it's, uh, yeah. I think it's uh, much, much better than GraphQL and it's in the spirit of, of RDF. And he shows me the other day all kinds of amazing stuff that you can the query discovers the topology of the graph on its own. It's, it's really amazing. And it's, it's yeah. possible just because it's stored as, you know, data, very simple data. Uh, um, okay, let me, let me transition to the book with a question for us, yeah. for the three of us. <laughs> Not a yeah, dummy okay. question. The question is going to be, do you guys think or do we think that namespace keywords is inherently related to data-oriented programming. Yeah, I think so. Oh, that was too fast. Mm. <laughs> okay. No, I don't think no, so. No, 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 no. <laughs> ah, okay, okay. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> Good we got the video there, you know. I can... Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> can see see Jonathan going no no the answer is no you idiots don't don't fool yourself yeah you, you got we got to warn us for these trick questions Jonathan you know? <laughs> you know this is this is this is bad bad treatment of the podcast host here but cut him off stop him <laughs> <laughs> but but what what is the relationship then with the name spaced uh, keywords and the data programming or data oriented programming yes. maybe maybe it's maybe it's better to say you know what do you mean by data oriented programming okay you know that, that that's a that's a better place to start at you know yeah let's get some let's get some background i mean we've we've been yeah. bullshitting for like 20 minutes now so let's <laughs> let's uh 
<laughs> Let's start talking about the uh, the real stuff, and we'll circle <laughs> back to all this other shit. Yes. So you're writing a book, Jonathan. Yeah, I'm writing a book called Data Oriented Programming. Um, and it has nothing to do with. I've had a look. I've had a look at the early access, and I can say it's very, very good. So um, I think congratulations yeah, so. on the work you've done so far, and you know I'm pretty sure you'll have it completed soon. Uh, That's yeah, a very, very interesting, interesting concept by Manning. The fact that they release the book before mm. it's uh, totally written, it's very mm. agile, and I wouldn't expect mm. from a, you know a publisher, a book company to be mm. so agile and innovative. And yeah. uh, already I got feedback from uh, readers, and I've changed the the remaining parts of the book. I've decided to include new chapters and to put away uh, other chapters and I get feedback for about mistakes or things that are mm -hmm. not clear. So it's very, very valuable uh, for, uh, mm. for me mm. as the, 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 an author and for the yeah. people that will buy the book at the end, it will be a better, uh, higher quality than the one that mm. yeah. the quality of the book, like, like we do, you know, in a SAS, we deploy an MVP and then yeah. we improve or pivot or, and it's yeah, interesting yeah. to apply these ideas to. So it's a book that is not about closure. Actually, I, I I started three years ago to write a book about closure, and it got into the same stage of me, but it was a total failure. <laughs> so the publisher told <laughs> me uh, we we are we are not going to follow the project, but we like you. So if you have another idea, we are open <laughs> to hear, but not closure. Yeah, and, uh, and that's the <laughs> the idea I came up with data-oriented programming, and uh, right mm -hmm. now the book, in terms of sales, do, does really well. Uh, mm -hmm. Beyond expectation, beyond my expectation, and uh, so on one end, it's not closure; it's not targeted at people who want to learn closure, but it's mm -hmm. nothing but closure. It's all; it's full of closure, so it's. Closure spirit. And hmm. I so, feel... So you tricked them. Yes. I feel like uh, Jesus. You know, he was a Jewish. <laughs> and and uh, he discovered yeah. that it was too complicated to convince everybody to become Jewish. So he took the best part of the Judaism and, <laughs> and sell it as a Christianism. Made data in the programming. So that's so that right. the programming. So Christianism is JavaScript in this case. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Jesus script. Jesus script. Jesus script. Jesus script. So yeah, it's. I mean, uh, I don't think that we are going to be able to bring. Let's hope you're not going to get crucified by the closed <laughs> community. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. And I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm not sure. Well, from what I, from from the from the stuff I've read in the book, I think every, every everybody will be very uh, pleased that you're representing, even if it's not the um, no. The but actually, it's not like, uh, know, the words. Jewish that crucified Jesus; it's the Roman. The Romans, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So you mean all the C plus plus people will get you if you if you're very precise about it? The, the Jews could have stopped it, but didn't. Yes, you know. Yeah. I think the Romans kind of like Pontius Pilate did uh, did offer to uh, to have him not 
you know, to be dealt with by the Jewish. But anyway, let's not get into that because you know, <laughs> no, I can, it's going to be, really be a very bad no, story. No, no, yeah. I can really imagine Java Fox crucifying me and for oh. <laughs> pretending a dynamic pro dynamic programming is a good idea. And I could see Richie not saving me and letting me be crucified. Right. Okay. Oh, right. okay. That's all perfect. Yeah. Okay. Now that analogy is out of the way. Now yeah. we can talk about data and programming now. Okay. So, so really, uh, for for me at least, I don't know if it's the same for you. I feel that I am smarter in Closure that I used to be in Java or C I've been able to write code that I, I, would, I was never able to write. You know, the riddles yeah. the, that they ask when they want to yeah, they interview. Yeah, yeah. I was really bad at it. Really, really bad. I could not solve any of them. Mm. And in closure, my fingers solve them. I don't have to think even. And yeah. uh, I, I've asked myself, what, what is it in closure that makes it so different than other programming languages? For sure, the fact that it's functional, but there are many functional languages. For sure, the mm. fact that it's yeah. a Lisp yeah. and we have the REPL, yes, great. But there are many languages with the, with the REPL. And after turning, turning around and around and around, I discovered with the help of the Clojure community that way, what makes Clojure stand out away from any other programming language is the fact that it's data-oriented. And I mm -hmm. make a real work of research trying to mm -hmm. formulate very precisely what is the meaning of being data-oriented programming or what are the principles, mm -hmm. the concrete principles of data-oriented programming. And, you know, if you listen mm -hmm. to Rich Icke's talk, you probably feel uh, illuminated and, wow, it's amazing. But it's, very, it's at a very, very high level. It's very abstract. It's it's uh, mm. it's not tangible and it's very hard to I know if you try it but if you try to take Rich Hickey's idea and share them with someone that is not convinced it will be very hard because you are probably not as talented as Rich and mm. and it will be hard to convey the the ideas. Um, yeah, I mean we, we can dispute that. I mean, yeah, as I you mean, know, no, come on. Yeah. I mean, our, our stupidity is is beyond imagination. So we we will tell no, you that yes, we are smarter than rich. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the ideas are when you listen to them, you say, oh, okay, yes. But yeah. when you try to explain, you miss something. Yeah. And 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 I yeah. I wanted to be very 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 concrete and down to earth. What does it mean mm -hmm. that oriented programming and why it is beneficial? And I mm. came up with three principles, three simple principles, and you probably uh, the, three, be, the three commandments of uh, the oh, Trinity, closure Jesus, <laughs> the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, <laughs> the Holy Trinity. So <laughs> it's going to be becoming a, a theology. It's a theme. Yeah, it's okay. going to be a theology podcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Um, if you look at my birth date, you will be very, very uh, surprised. Do you have a guess? Is it the 6th of the 6th, 1966? No, no, better, <laughs> better, better. Okay. Oh, wow. The, okay. It's a Christmas. Jesus' birthday. Yeah. yeah. It's the really? birthday of Jesus. Oh, it's the 31st. Okay. Yeah. 25 of oh. the birthday. Mine was better, though. 6th six, 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 six of June, 1966. Oh, you are 6th of June? You were you was born on 6th of June? 
No, 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 no. It's just six, 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 six. You know, it's, uh -huh. it's yeah, mark yeah. of the beast. Yeah. <laughs> so the so the holy trinity is, is uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the the what do we have? The Father, the Son, and the I don't know. And the, ghost. the Holy Ghost, the, the Holy, holy Spirit. Ghost. So number one <laughs> is that we want to separate code from data. We don't want mm -hmm. to be object oriented. We don't have to. We don't want to have data hidden or encapsulated in an object. So that's an easy one. Mm -hmm. Number two, we want data to be immutable. We don't want any mm -hmm. side effects or uh, non-purity. And that's... Mm -hmm. Okay, and number three is that we want... By the way, before, before you go on, number one... Sorry, go on. I was gonna, yeah. Are we going to discuss each of these three? Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, definitely. Let's go. Yeah. What's number three? What's and number, number three? three is that we want to represent data as data with generic data mm -hmm. structures. Mm -hmm. That's it. Before we before we uh, we drill the, uh, we deep dive into each of them, just to make things uh, tangible for uh, the folk that listen to us. So number one, separate code from data. It is the 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 discussion between object-oriented languages and, let's say, non-object-oriented languages. Number two, no side effects. Mm -hmm. It's functional programming. We don't want mm -hmm. side effects. Yeah. And until now, you can be in um, OCaml or in Haskell or any language like that. But number three, that we represent data as data, is quite specific to Clojure yeah. and to JavaScript. But JavaScript doesn't have the number two, hmm. that uh, data is immutable. Yeah. Hmm. So you could say that data-oriented yeah. programming is uh, like functional programming plus generic data structure. Or you could say it's like JavaScript mm -hmm. plus immutable data. Or you could say it's closure. Hmm. OK, so okay. That, that's the, the background. JavaScript has objects, though. Yeah, but you could do, uh, let's say you do JavaScript without objects, without classes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And it's Just quite saying. idiomatic. It's not, uh, yeah, you could also do, I, you could do Python also without classes and Ruby without classes. But it's, yeah, yeah. I think it's in, in JavaScript, it's, nobody will shoot you if you don't use classes. In Python, you will probably, yeah. uh, it's dangerous not to use <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, well, let's go back to number one then. Go back yeah, to number okay. one. So number one is like uh, no data encapsulation, essentially. Yeah, you know? which, yes. like you say, is the is the is the fundamental cleft between the two. Yeah. Let's say it's the uh, the schism in religious terms. You know, between the two <laughs> churches. Yes, um, exactly. But uh, but it, I, I'm I'm kind of interested in that because you know I mean I I I, I, I get it. I'm sold, but. These people that like their types, they, you know, they like this encapsulation. Um, so what, what's your argument against it? I mean, apart from, okay. like, we all know it. So since you're going to be very concrete, what is what is your, like, uh, bullet in the head? Like, you know. What's yes, the, exactly. We, no. Okay, let's put let's go bullet in the head. It's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, let's, well, let's how identify. How do you kill that other argument? Let's identify the enemy. So the enemy, yeah. it's, the enemy of principle number one is not types is object-oriented. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And 
and he, and my uh, the magic card that I have. It's getters and, and setters, basically. Oh, actually, it's not. It's it's no, uh, it's, it's more than it's mutation through through some object method, essentially. Yes, adding behaviors to the to the yeah. to the data. Yeah. yeah. So so and I spend the whole chap first chapter of the book uh, attacking the or not attacking uh, acknowledging let's say the inherent yeah. complexity or the tendency to complexity when you build a system with objects. And I do. Mm -hmm. I did the exercise. So in the book, I take an example of building a library management system, and I implemented it, at least at the level of the design, as if I were a Java de developers. So I really had to feel mm -hmm. the pain. It was very very hard. And the <laughs> the, the the number one argument is complexity. And we we I cannot uh, draw in the podcast. I mean, I can draw, but nobody would be able to see my drawing. But imagine. Uh, <laughs> yes, need to imagine. Imagine a class diagram, a classic class diagram. So you have yeah. class, and and the class has relationship with other classes, and you have many kind of relationships. You have inheritance. You have composition. You have association, you have usage. Let's say that the four basic ones. And very, very uh, quickly, your class diagram becomes complex. Okay, now imagine you take the exact same diagram, exact same diagram, exact same design, and you do something very, very simple. You take every class and you split it into methods and data. So methods, all the yeah. methods will, will be static and they will receive data as mm -hmm. an argument. And just by doing this split, instead of one complex graph, one complex diagram, you have two mm -hmm. simple disjoint diagrams. And when you see it in your yeah. eyes, you feel immediately that the resulting system is simpler. It's less entangled less relationships, uh, you can understand each subgraph in isolation, you can think about the relationship between data on, on their own. You can model your data before you think about what are you going to do with the data and what are the functions, or you can start with the function and then uh, design the data appropriately, you know, divided from query. So that's, I think, the yeah. number one argument and it's very visual. What about people who would argue then that, you know, um, I want to have a safe way to change the data and object orientation gives me a safe way to change data? What do you mean a safe way to change data? Well, I've got an object. I've got a, it's got a method on it called, you know, uh, I don't know, change the clock or something, you know, yes. and I can do that uh, in my object and you don't need to worry about it. Uh, I'll just make it happen. So. I've, yeah. I've, I don't need, and, and also the good thing about that is it's, it's, a, it's, it's atomic according to that uh, object, uh, whereas if I have the data outside, then anyone can fuck with it. Yes. You know, that, so that's the, I mean, I'm trying yeah, to play yeah. devil's advocate here. Yeah, you know? yeah, I know, I know, and you are very bad at it, but uh, let's, let's pretend that you are, <laughs> <laughs> let's pretend that yeah. you are, uh, you really mean what you ask. <laughs> and so... <laughs> 
So number two is easier for me to tackle. And the answer is because we are going to make sure the data is immutable, we don't have to worry about what's happening if someone is going to change my data because nobody is going to change your data because the data is immutable. Mm. So right, right. the principles are not independent. If you do yeah. a separate code from data, no. but you allow mutations, that then you shoot on your, uh, on your uh, foot. So it's, foot. it won't be safe. Yeah. Yeah. But the number one. But I think I think the I think the thing that obje object oriented people get very confused by the fact that you have immutable data, but I want to change data. <laughs> yeah, and and okay, so I, I can go also into something a bit philosophical in a moment, but but before that, uh -oh. let me rephrase your your question, and I don't have a good answer. I I will just acknowledge the trade off when you have an object in your hand, you know what are all the methods that can touch the object. It's the yep. method of the class. And I don't mean just for refactoring purposes. I mean, let's put aside the refactoring safety or the easiness of doing refactoring. It's a different yeah, topic. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to do with complexity. When I yeah. talk about complexity, I, I, I talk about yeah. the inherent complexity of a system that runs not the easiness to change yeah, yeah, the system. Yeah. That's a different one. And we can also, we could talk about that, but it's, uh, so let's put that aside. But there is an issue or there is a limitation when you separate code from data, when data is decoupled from code, when you have a piece of data, when you want to figure out what are all the functions that know how to deal with, it, with this data is difficult. It's difficult. And I think that with uh, tools like Kondo or CLJ Kondo or stuff like that, there are ways to, to say, okay, I have a map with those fields. What are the functions that can receive this kind of map? But it's just the beginning. It will never be as uh, straightforward as uh, asking the question in an object-oriented world. And, and also, I maybe think it's that the question is wrong. No, maybe that's a wrong question. Maybe if I can play non-devil's advocate for a second, I would say that's that's a that's a that question is, you know, if, if we go back in the history, you know, we'd say we'd rather have like a thousand functions over data than mm -hmm. than a thousand data structures. So you know, and, and, I mean, we can argue the toss about those, but I think the generic the generic argument about complexity versus simplicity is that. You know, you might want to tie down a particular transformation function on this particular bit of data, but why? Why yes. do you want to do that? You know, why? Yeah, let's not say I have a customer. The, make it an open system. Yeah. No, I can, I can, I can play not the devil's advocate, and I okay. can say, okay, I have, a, I have a customer in my hand. I have data that represent a customer, and I want to know what are all the, and let's say I want to uh, upgrade the customer to VIP. Where do I look yeah. for this method? Where is it? Or I want to retrieve the password of the customer or the purchase history of the customer. Where would, yeah. I, would I find it? It's difficult. But I think that yeah. it has to do with easiness. I mean, for someone that knows the project, it will be easier than for someone that doesn't know the project. It's not inherent. It's not more complex or less complex. It's easier... Um, 
And, and I think that the way we approach data in data-oriented programming is almost like the way we approach data that is in a database. I mean, when you have a table in a database, you don't know what, what are all the pieces of code that retrieve data from this table. It's a question with no answer. No, yep. you don't want to know. You don't want to know. And you don't want to know, you don't want to, to allow yourself to rename a column in a, in a table and say, okay, let me, uh, please bring me a tool that when I rename a column of the table, all the code is going to be updated and will work automatically uh, with, with no, uh, without breaking uh, all customer. No. Hey, data but, if, is, but if you use Hibernate, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if if yes. you use an RM tool. <laughs> yeah, but like you say, then you're, you're kind of limited to the code rather than all the kind of reporting tools and all the other bits and pieces. So you haven't got an open system anymore. That's the advantage of the data orientation. Yes, and, and it's open and it has limitation. It's, it's uh, less easy. I would say it requires. But, but given uh, given given this trade-off, uh, would you say that data-oriented programming fits some domains better than the other domains? Yes, yes, yes. And and the domain that it fits for is what we call information systems. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not good for game. If you want to build a game, yeah, you don't do yeah. a game with data-oriented programming. If you want to write a compiler, yeah. You don't write a compiler with that oriented programming. When you know your domain yeah. and when you know exactly what fields are going to be in your data and it's not dynamic and, and the system is closed, the data of the system lives yeah. in the system and ends in the system, then it doesn't make sense to have that oriented programming. But when you fetch data from somewhere mm -hmm. and you need to... Uh, to uh, pass the data to yeah, another one in many different formats, yeah. you need to be, yeah. then the ability to be open and to manipulate data and to pass mm. data forward, even when you are interested only in two fields and to pass all the other fields without understanding, without having to care about what are the other fields is really important. And that's what we do in every yeah. Uh, yeah. closure application. I mean, one could argue that a compiler is, you know, somewhat of a text-oriented, data-oriented system. You know, once you get to an AST, it's data. Yeah, but it, know, it, doesn't, it doesn't accept is, random uh, shit, right? I mean, a compiler is very strict on, on what it is accepting. Yeah. You have, uh, yeah, you know, but, uh, children you know. and, uh, I don't know, first argument, second argument, and that's it. So it's it's... Yeah, yeah, because you're following you're following a very rigid schema, right? I mean, you you parse it already. You're well, writing I don't, a parser for a specific language. Yeah, but I mean, I, yeah, okay, but I mean, I think a lot of uh, a lot languages like Clojure, which is a, which are dynamic, are not so mm -hmm. obvious. Yeah, and they still have a compiler. No, but but, but I mean, Clojure Clojure has a compiler. That's because it it only needs like what seven forms. That's it, and then you can you can build the whole shit from that one. But if you see all other languages, they are there. They have a very specific. Um, definition of the language, and you can't deviate from it. I can't suddenly just change in Python. There is def, then I'm gonna just change it to, I don't know, fed. You know, <laughs> that's not how it is gonna work because it has very specific lexical elements that it is looking for. So I think in in that sense, compiler is a is a closed domain. Well, uh, but I mean, it doesn't have to be an open domain to be data oriented, does it? 
And maybe, no. it's in, maybe it's in your definition it does, Johannathan. But no, yeah. I, I, it doesn't have to, but it's more beneficial when the data okay. lives originally outside of your application. Hmm. I think that's that's an, the, that's the best definition I could give. Before, okay. does the data live somewhere before you write the program or not? If the answer is yes, hmm. it lives in the database. Then it makes sense to represent data as close as it lives in the database and not as close as you want in your program for easiness reasons or for convenience reasons. And that's, that's yeah. the tension. That's the tension. Do you start from your needs or do you start from the reality? And in that mm. algorithm, we say we start My from the reality. My needs are real, though. <laughs> yeah, your needs are real. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Yeah. Yeah. So and, and and by the way, it's really interesting to see that even languages like Java and C sharp, they promote uh, records. Records. In Java yeah. 14, yeah. there is something called a record, which is a yeah. class with only members, no code. Yeah. And and it's no immutable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's no immutable. Methods. And it's mm-hmm. automatically serializable. And you get a hash code and hmm. equal the classic and did, the, the the value object. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, the value object. Exactly. The value exactly. object. So I think that even I remember folks... I remember talk, going to a talk by someone. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to a talk by I, I don't know if it was one of the Java Java compiler guys, but he was saying that yeah, value object. You know, if it's a value, it's not an object. If it's yeah. <laughs> if it's an object, it's not just values. <laughs> no, these yeah. two things do not exist. Yeah, the value object. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, of course it does exist. Because, you know, yeah. like, like you say, in the end, like if you're doing a lot of water, you know, a lot, a lot of carrying of water between between one system and another system, it makes no sense to carry all these functions along along with it. Mm. Yeah? Yeah. So I think people, I, uh, you're right. I mean, people have intuitively kind of gone for that kind of um, stripping away of uh, objects through just to data, you know, mm. and, I, and I think a lot of languages have maps and stuff like this, which are which allow for a weak typing, you know. Almost all data, almost all languages these days have that. Yes, and here I have a surprise for you guys. Oh, uh, how familiar are you with the implementation of uh, immutable data structure in Clojure? And the trick oh, that we makes basically it efficient. That. Yeah. Oh, you were that. In Clojure or in Java? Yeah. <laughs> the well, first in Java, obviously. Oh, in Java. Okay. Wow. You yeah. are really, just, uh... just ask me anything, you know. Ask yeah, me anything. Exactly. Ask me anything. Yeah. I mean, you know. <laughs> we, we want to talk about like the, the depth which, of those trees. Get into it. Yeah. You know. Which okay. which line number in the <laughs> card? <laughs> so I anyway, yeah. I I read the probably the only available uh, blog post on it with this drawing mm. and the structural sharing and the HAMT mm. and mm. and I yeah. was never able to understand deeply and I was mm. really excited but when I wanted to explain to a colleague I, I made a, a joke of myself because I started to explain and blah blah blah, blah and I couldn't find my work. So don't try at home. It's uh, very dangerous. <laughs> but, but, yeah. but what you can try is to implement 
a similar algorithm that works on any hash maps. And that's what Lodash does. Mm -hmm. So Lodash, the most popular JavaScript mm -hmm. libraries, library, has a FP yeah. flavor. There is something called Lodash FP. Yeah, it's an immutable. You, yes, exactly. It's immutable. It's immutable. Research, right? it's immutable. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing. You give, yeah. you pass to it a regular JavaScript native, uh, you know, hash maps. And when you call set, or yep. even set in, mm -hmm. you could say set at mm -hmm. uh, pass a dot b dot c dot d da 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 da, and then it will create a new version of the yep. map with the change. And it does it with structural sharing. Ooh. So it's efficient. It okay. doesn't do a deep clone okay. like uh, I would do. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No. And what's mm. more, uh, what excites me is that I was able to implement this algorithm and it's seven lines of JavaScript or in any language. Mm. It's not difficult. It's, yeah. The trick is called pass mm. copying. Okay. You copy the pass to do structural mm -hmm. sharing. And I was so excited then that I asked myself, so why do we need a, uh, efficient data structure? If the algorithm works fine with native mm -hmm. data structures, why do we need special data structures mm -hmm. to, uh, to benefit from efficient immutability? And there are two answers. Mm -hmm. Answer number one is that to enforce immutability, to make sure that the data is not changed. But you can enforce that yeah. in, in JavaScript or in Java. So that's a weak answer. And the mm -hmm. second answer, which I, I don't know if it's a good one or a bad one, is that this algorithm breaks when you have too many nodes at the same level. So if you have a map with a, a thousand mm -hmm. fields, each time you, you make a change, you have to copy all the, uh, to do a shallow copy of a yeah. thousand fields. And if it's a, yeah. a vector, with yeah. a thousand fields, the same. Whereas in closure, the the the, yeah. the implementation breaks somehow the maps and the nodes so that you copy only a part of the map. You don't copy everything. But I think that in a regular application, you don't have a map with a thousand fields, right? If it's a record, you don't have more than ten yeah. ten fields at, at at one level. Yeah. yeah. No. No. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's, I think that's like, might be, you know, sorry. So that might be a very good transition path. Yeah, it's a good way to think about it for other languages or for other, other environments which need immutability, but, you know, don't have the, uh, you know, when you, if you can do it in 10, 20 lines, five lines, whatever of some language, that's much better than spending, you know, six months in a hammock. Mm. Yeah. And, and reading, and, uh, you know, reading, uh, yeah, reading papers on it. Yeah. And in OCaml, for example, they have semantics for that. So when you have a mm -hmm. record in OCaml with specific fields, like a data class, and mm -hmm. let's say a graph of data classes, you could say, I want to do a change, a nested a change in the nested field in my data class, and it will do the structural sharing on its own. Hmm. Okay, so it's built into the runtime already. The compiler, even I would say. Oh, and they, are, they okay. have wow. semant hmm. they have semantics for that. You could say I want hmm. my user yeah. with a change, and the change yeah, could yeah. be in the product and the price of the product of the user. 
Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But I, I don't think there is a big argument against um, immutability, right? Your second principle. I mean, I don't think yeah. there is. I think mo- most of most of the you know programming communities now more or less realize that yes, immutability at least by default should be the should be the way we program, and you should reach out to immutability for performance reasons or whatever. Uh, yes. I think only only that is the time when when you want to move. Yeah. yeah what the only thing I would say about immutability is that it's a terrible terrible name, because I think yes. immutability is you know it, it's it's difficult to understand it, you know. Um, yes. And also because it, you know you do want to have like change. You've just mentioned it. I want to change something, but I want to get a new structurally shared copy of it. So the way I think about it, the way I would rather people talk about it is like automatically version managed data, you know, efficiently mm-hmm. version managed data. Because, yes. you know, I know that strictly academically it's not correct. Yeah, but fuck that because people can't understand, don't know what immutability is. They're, they're, it, it's overloaded. It means too many different things. But if I say to you, how about if you if you could automatically get a version of every single data Every mm-hmm. single bit of data that you had, like Git, you know, you could have yes. Git for your data. Um, wouldn't that be awesome? Oh, it'd be very expensive. Ah, no, we've got tricks. You know, we can make it yes. super cheap. So the diffs are very, very cheap. You know, By the way, like, Git just like, does exactly just like this diffs. trick. Git yeah, exactly. does exactly yeah. this trick. It copies every file, every blob, or every pointer to a file in every folder that you change in a commit. Yeah. And it breaks. If you have a folder with a thousand files, which you don't have, <laughs> but if you have, you will yeah. break it. It will not be efficient. Right, yeah. it gets slow. Yeah. But I think already adding like immutability is like Git is already you know giving significant amount of trouble for people to understand shit because Git is already complicated, complicated. system. I think we, we can just stick with you know version data i think that's yeah, already yeah. i think that that's 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 enough for people to figure out what is happening i think when yeah. you, when we say immutable if you're not maybe for us we we have this um i don't know like a we're we're used to it so much that we don't even think about that word anymore because it has a specific meaning to people who are using closure or haskell or something mm-hmm. yeah. um, but but the people so who are not the... using it i mean if you say immutable then they're like oh that's fucked up you know that yeah, and although yeah. although it's uh, it's quite uh, well ad- admitted that immutability is good, in the book yeah. I had to to bring an argument, and I didn't want just to quote, mm-hmm. you know, uh, referential transparency, hidden side effects, and blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I I I had to think in the context of the li- library management system, what would be the benefit mm-hmm. of immutability, and there are two benefits. Yeah. One, that you could restore the system to its previous state, like undo mm-hmm. uh, a mutation very, very easily and cheaply. Yeah. And number two, mm-hmm. which is very, I found it very interesting, is that you have a way to manage concurrency very cheaply because you can mm-hmm. run all the mutations mm-hmm. in parallel. And just before you yeah. submit the mutation, you check if there are a conflict with a mutation that has finished before you were able to, to finish. And you do a diff, like yeah. in a React, mm. you do a diff between uh, 
between uh, your muta- the, the two mutations that run in parallel. And sometimes the you virtual, are able to... The virtual f- library and the real library. Yeah. yeah. Yes, the virtual DOM. Uh, and I think that's an interesting... Uh, that's an interesting way because then com- computing the diff is cheap. If you, if you mm. work, if you change only the version through structural sharing, most of the nodes will be the same and you can compare them by yeah. reference. Mm. You don't need to check the value of yeah. the leaves. So the diff algorithm is yes. very, very uh, efficient and it mm. allows uh, highly scalable uh, concurrency management. With no ver- with yeah. no explicit versioning, you don't have to say I am version ten, yeah. I am version eleven. It's only uh, based on the content. Yeah, and, uh, so lock free, lock free concurrency. Yeah. Lock free concurrency. Yeah. Yes, and that's what, in a sense, that was swap does in closure. The swap on the atom. Mm-hmm. So lock 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 free concurrency means you get free locks, right? <laughs> lock, locks are free. Locks are free. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, you can go to jail the, very easily. <laughs> but the most challenging one, I think, is the principle number three, the mm-hmm. the representation of data with as data with no types. Yeah, yeah, and that's the one where uh, there are the most uh, the highest number of resistance. Enemies. Resistance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and you know, it's either resistance or triviality. Because if you let's try call to convince... them let's call them philistines, yeah, for the purposes <laughs> of this uh, podcast, yes. yeah, <laughs> yeah, philistine. Uh, because, we, so, because we have a we have now a flavor of this podcast now. Yeah. So, yeah. And let imagine the discussion with the JavaScript guy. You would say, okay, it's trivial. <laughs> what do you want from me? Hmm. Of course, I represent data hmm. as data. So it's yeah. not an interesting discussion. But when you discuss with a a guy that comes from a statically typed language, either functional yeah. or not functional, he would say, no, I cannot live without a type safety. Yeah. Um, and, and why? Why would I want to, uh, to, uh, to get rid of type safety? And here, the, here, I'm not sure I have good answers for that. You know, first of all, it, mm. it, it, it lays on lots of emotions and uh, conviction and past and etc. What I find more interesting is, first of all, to acknowledge that even in closure, we are not happy to have no type at all, no schema, nothing. Yeah. It's fine when you write a yeah. small script, but when you, when you build a production yeah. system, it becomes a mess very, very quickly. So instead of saying uh, schema or not schema, I would say uh, coupled schema or not coupled schema. Mm-hmm. Should the schema be part of the data or should it be uh, decoupled from the data and available? And, and in some places I could say, okay, here it makes sense to, to uh, validate that the data is uh, valid according to a schema. And in some places, yeah. I want, I don't want to, I don't care when I have a merge function, let's say, between two hash maps. I don't want to say that the merge function works only with the hash maps that has this or that field. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are functions that are inherently generic. So there is no sense. Mm. There is no point on typing those functions. But when yeah. I 
when we are at the application level, let's say at the, yeah, at, I think at the domain level it makes sense. Yeah, at the domain level it makes sense. Yeah, if I have yeah, an yeah. entity that represents a, a user, I want to make sure yeah. that the ID is there and that the I don't know the yeah the email is yeah, there or the username is there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that that is the that is the main um, main as you said. I think that is the main argument for. If I'm talking to a Scala programmer, if I'm talking to, um, I don't know, a Rust programmer um, or, or even Haskell programmer, I think that is the main argument, right? Because most of the times we, the systems that you are designing, they are not generic systems. You know, most of the times that the systems that you're designing are, are systems that have very specific domain and people are used to these DDD concepts, like the domain-driven design concepts where you define the, 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 the nouns and then where you define the bounded context and within this context, what is the, what is the, um, terminology that we're going to use and they, they mean something. Um, writing writing a closure core function is completely different than writing a function that is dealing with in your case like DNS system or, or an IP, yes. you know, the, where 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 it makes sense to have that there is a there is a data piece of data that I can recognize as an IP. And the operations that I'm performing between two IPs are different than are more specific than the operations that I'm performing on core data structures. So that's the that's the friction I think with the with the static yes. and, and dynamic uh, languages. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think that the lang the language that does it the best right now mm -hmm. in 2021 is not Clojure. I think it's TypeScript. I don't know if you guys tried oh. TypeScript, yeah. but I, I gave it no, a try I because yeah. one of the readers challenged me and say everything every argument that you make in the book in TypeScript I can implement it in a nicer way. And TypeScript gives oh. you types a la carte. So you yeah, could write yeah, yeah. you could yeah. write JavaScript and it's it's a valid TypeScript, and here and there yeah. you could say okay here I want to say I have a map, not an any object yeah. I have a map with those fields, uh, and yeah. it's very uh, the semantics of the types is very very elaborated, and it's dynamic mm. and you could uh, I don't know all the details but I I ran mm. through the tutorial and I was really amazed by the flexibility that. Mm. That it gives uh, mm. that it gives you as a as a developer. Uh, yeah. So that is the that is the thirty percent that we are missing, right? In the wrap up, use TypeScript. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> but, but I often thought that, uh, and you know, I was saying this to uh, to, to David Nolan actually was that we should would it wouldn't it be a bit nicer in some ways to target TypeScript rather than JavaScript, mm. you know, for like. But you know that ship has sailed. I think. But you know, yeah. someone else can write a program that uh, targets TypeScript uh, as a as a sort of compile language, because then you get you would actually get all the type safety um, at runtime if you wanted it. If you had a spec or if you wanted something like that, you could do all that kind of stuff in TypeScript. But you need to bring. But in the some end, this JavaScript into closure, right? But yeah. in the end, it's JavaScript because TypeScript yeah, yeah. is still JavaScript. It's not. TypeScript. I think that TypeScript, just like yeah, yeah. closure script, it's just a compiler. You know. I think even it's uh, simpler. I think that when you compile TypeScript, you get a JavaScript with no types at all. It's just yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, you just, just either break or process. say okay. It's just a, a step yeah, in the middle. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think it makes and you. I have. I, I did something funny. I, uh, two weeks ago, I uh, published something like six challenges, uh, six small mm -hmm. exercises that 
in Clojure or in data programming, it's very natural to implement. And I challenged the community, yeah. okay, how would you write it in another language? And I got yeah. uh, people that submitted solutions in TypeScript, in Ruby, in Elm, in Elixir, and in mm. Go, even in someone submitted in Go. <laughs> um, okay. And in TypeScript, it feels very, very uh, natural because you can play with mm. uh, really, it's like, how do you say, cutting the ice and eating it or cutting the chocolate and, and having it. <laughs> having the cake and eat it yeah yeah you have the cake and you eat it uh and and uh, i think really, that, that's already overloaded right having the cake would also already mean i'm i'm eating the cake <laughs> yeah but yeah i think as i said maybe well i mean there are other niceties that you're getting uh well you can do data oriented programming in typescript but you cannot do all the stuff that you do with closure in um in other languages. So that's probably, you know, still like a yeah, USB of closure. Like you, you still have the lispiness of it. So all the, all the advantages that you get because it is a lisp, you yes. don't have that in, in, um, in, yes. in, in JavaScript or TypeScript, you know, and you can't do the same level of metaprogramming, for example. So, and th those things are, you know, also the language is easier to learn because there are not many complex shit that you need to learn. Uh, to 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 be productive, so that is still a still pro closure argument. I would yeah, say. Definitely. I think we're on a, we're on a sort of we're on a, we're on a very thin ledge, though. Meta programming yeah. is all we've got. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, you know. Yeah, mm. it's you know, you can you can write code that writes code. Like, what do you mean? Yeah, that's amazing, isn't it? Yes, shut up. Use closure. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. But I think in the in tips of the data-oriented programming, I, I get the concept now that you know all these pieces are are basically leading uh, ideas behind closure, right? So you would say that, right? This is the this is how you build larger closure programs with with still some pain points, which is as we discussed, like introducing the types, introducing mm -hmm. um, a bit more confidence into the system. I would say um, at some level when when you're when you're when you're programming at a certain level. Super cool. So how 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 far is your book now? So can people so, go and buy it right now? Is yeah, it in uh, people can yeah. buy uh, can buy it uh, right now, and the price is uh, lower. Yeah. I think it's uh, twenty seven dollars for the digital copy. Mm. And uh, yeah. every time a chapter is released, every month or something like that, they get yeah. an email and uh, with the new content. Uh, yeah, and they can collaborate and ask questions. Yeah. Mm. Does it have its own website or is it something that people just go to yes. manning.com and then search yeah, for data-oriented programming? You write data-oriented programming. And it's, you know, uh, maybe we can end up with something that is, I don't know if it's sad or good news. Uh, do you know the story of the salesman uh, from England a hundred years ago or something like that, that went to Africa to sell shoes? Two salesmen? Uh, no. no. You don't know this story? So two salesmen from a big no. shoe company when, were, were sent to sell shoes in Africa to do a market study. Yeah. And the first one yeah. sent, uh, when he went back to the UK, say, oh, it's terrible. Nobody wears shoes. The market is uh, zero. And the second yeah, one yeah. say, oh, huge opportunity. <laughs> nobody wears nobody shoes. Nobody wears shoes, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> nobody, there is nothing on the internet about data-oriented programming. If you Google yeah. data-oriented programming, 
you will find only my stuff. Yours is the first. <laughs> there is no Wikipedia entry. There is no articles. Uh, okay. I, I, found, weird, actually. Yeah. I found the guy that invented the world, the world data oriented programming, someone named Eugene mm. Kuznetsov. He was kind mm -hmm. enough to discuss with me on Hangout uh, a month ago. Yeah. And he invented yeah. that in 2002, so before closure. And actually, he, he made okay. a patent of it. And he built a oh company called uh, Data Power that was sold to IBM. Um, so okay. that's where it's. So we're all going to get sued. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And then you have data oriented yeah. design, which is a pattern yeah. from the gaming industry, uh, mm. yeah. where the goal there is to improve performance. So it has nothing to do with what, mm. what we are talking about. You have data-driven yeah. programming, which yeah. is the, the ability to express logic as data. But mm -hmm. it's not what we were discussing uh, today. And the topic of yeah. representing data as data, <laughs> which mm. sounds so natural, it has no yeah. cover on the, on the internet. Only in closure. If you, look, if you Google for data and programming after the mining marketing uh, staff, you will find an article <laughs> yeah. from uh, Cognitech that says closure is great because it's data-oriented. That's it. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, so you found like an, you know, something that is not there on the internet, which is which is pretty rare these days. Yes, yes. <laughs> and and not in not in you know collective psyche. <laughs> what, what do they call it when you get like a, a one one response from Google, the Google flop or something, or the Google? It's a special mm. phrase when you put in normal English words and you get back one result. Wow. Oh, is it, I didn't know it was possible. Get no, one? Well, it used to be. I think it's less <laughs> yeah, and less yeah, possible yeah. now, but it, there's a special yeah. name for it, like a Google mm. flop or something. Okay. Wow. Listeners, <laughs> please phone in. You know. Yes. <laughs> please call, write. call this number. No. no, not call. Write to us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Write to us. Write to us. <laughs> it's a postbox number something. Yeah. <laughs> We we write every we we read every letter by the way so please oh, yeah, do yeah. please do send you know all the fan mail you know it, it basically takes <laughs> us I think uh, at least two hours of my my day you know reading through all the fan mail and responding mm. to them personally and um, and you know we do send autograph stuff as well back to people so sealed if you write to us sealed with exactly the case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so especially so in COVID times it's very valuable. Yeah. <laughs> So what do yeah. you guys think about anyway. the, the question that I asked us about namespace keywords? I uh, think it's well, a yes. One of us should say yes and yes. one of us should say no. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, see, the thing is... And I say maybe. About, like, I'd I, say maybe. I say, <laughs> yeah. I, I, th I think I'd say, I'd say yes, but not inside. I think... We find this problem, like at work, and I guess you find the same thing as well. Is that this is that sometimes you have like uh, like in a spec you have like all these namespace things where you just say colon colon foo, and of mm. course it's a very convenient that it you don't have to type out you know blah 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 dot blah mm -hmm. blah blah dot blah dot blah dot blah, 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 blah foo you know that would be very tedious. So so that's really good, but it's kind of then annoying to like use them outside of closure it's a mess you know yes. but if you have like uh like in the atomic schema you have like entity slash foo then it makes sense you know i think that's that could be okay i think and i think you can 
So I'd say one is like internal, like convenience, and the other one is a bit more uh, structural for proper managing data in a good way, which is like around entities. And, and I, I'm, I'm a fan of that. My view on that is that as long as your namespace is only containing data, then the namespace keywords make sense. Because if you have the if you have the namespace keywords representing data and then you have functions that are operating in the namespace, then you're essentially trying to encapsulate those things in one place, right? Then then your mm -hmm. then your namespace, if you squint really hard, it looks like a class again. Yes. <laughs> in, in in Java. So well, we we use that kind of approach for specs mm. actually. So we have yeah. like specs for particular types of things using namespaces, namespace yeah. keywords, and it works quite. I don't well. think that namespace yeah. in the sense of a closure namespace, but I would say a fully mm. qualified uh, prefix, so that the field yeah, name yeah. is uh, unique. And I think that yeah. it's an inherent part of data and programming because mm. you know it's like the chicken and the egg. Where do you start? Do you start from a, a map? And the map yep. has several fields, or no, you start from a field, and the map aggregates fields. And I think that yep. in the data-oriented programming approach, we start from fields. Each field mm. lives on its own, has its own right to live, and the same field could be part of a hundred maps. You could have sure, a, sure. a user. You could have a email user, you could have a product user, you could have a... So, but then if the name of the field is uh, short with no context, then it's mm. meaningless. So, yeah. so I think it's a logical consequence or it's the next step. And I think that's the reason mm. why Rich Icky spends so much time to explain that the, the field should be decomplected from the maps and you should spec them before you spec the map. Yeah. So if, if a user email is an email, then it has the semantics of an email. No matter yeah. if it's in a map, map, big map, or... Yeah. A, yeah. yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, you can have, like, a input map, an output map. You can have all kinds of transformation maps that, that deal with users. And to have it as just one map is mental, yeah. yeah. So and I, in I GraphQL, they don't have that. that. But isn't, isn't that like the whole, like, you know, the, the concept of an atom? You know, that's from a data perspective, that's what that's what an atom is, isn't it? It's a field. You know, it's like the lowest mm. level, the lowest unit mm. of... You don't mean a closure atom. Yeah. You mean an atom in physics? No, no, no. 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 Yeah, yes. I mean, also in Lisp, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yes. Like but the, in, in the the statically typed languages, fields don't exist. At yeah, runtime, the field is yes. just an offset in a class. Yes. It's just an offset, yes. and it's, yes. a, it's yeah. a tragedy, in a sense, that the yeah. most mm -hmm. important piece of the information, which is the name of the field, mm. it, it fades away during compilation. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, that's half true, because, for example, in Java, they are, they are available through reflection. Yeah, yeah, exactly. every JSON serialization time. library uses reflection. There is no other way to serialize. Mm. There is this Google library, not the one that we use in Clojure, not the Jackson. There is JSON, Google mm. JSON, and they use reflection. Yeah, yeah. You pass a record or a class, and you get back a string with no annotation, with nothing, through reflection. Yeah. So even in Java, which is maybe the most static uh, language in both sense mm. of the world, 
they acknowledge the need yeah. for one, like we talked before, data classes or records and mm. reflections mm. or having access to field names. Cool. So I think we... we nice we, teaser to end on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. So we covered um, at least the, the gist of your book. And I'm pretty sure I think people, uh, you know, I think even even for people who are familiar with closure, right? I mean, it, it makes sense to have a have a go at it to understand it in a much more holistic way, um, or maybe you know yes. the, the fundamental way. So I think it's a it's a it's a really good idea to write uh, write these concepts down to communicate them better. You know, mm. as as you said yes. in the beginning. So it's it's pretty awesome. And and obviously, I haven't read the book. Uh, as you can see, I'm not a reading kind of guy. <laughs> <laughs> But but as soon as your your book is uh, you know published in a, in full thing then you know I'll, I'll certainly give give that a try, and um, so it is available as a early access uh, publication right now right Manning Meep. Yes, it's called Meep. Uh, Manning right Early yeah. Access Program. And program. If you, yeah, sorry. If you just Google it, you you find the yeah uh, you find it. And if you go to yeah. my Twitter profile, you, you will get a discount code. And yeah, and if you feel really That's want to buy fine. the book, and you you are you want to write a review, and you don't have twenty dollars to to spend, you can send me an email, and I will offer you a book uh, in exchange. Oh, of that's review. awesome! Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. very kind. The, yeah. the other thing I like about your book, I mean, I, I've I've skimmed it. Like I say, I haven't read it fully yet, but. I've had a skim through of it. And what I like is that you have a very conversational style in the book, you know, is that it's a kind of like two colleagues speaking to each other, which makes yes. it very readable. I think, you know, it's a kind of like, we didn't really speak about that, but I think you've got a nice, a nice writing style. You know, it's yes. kind of, it's very casual. It's very, but it's sort of a one colleague challenging the other colleague, you know, which is, which is nice. You know, I think yes. that people, people will, will find it very approachable and very, uh, very kind of relatable, you know, in that sense. Yeah. The only problem is that I became a schizophrenic since then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's more Plato's dialogues rather than yeah. you know, regular regular books. So, you know, people actually talking and the interlocutor and everybody <laughs> discussing stuff, which is pretty awesome. Nice. Uh, so go go check out the book, and we'll put the link uh, in the in the description, obviously. And then also a big shout out to. Uh, Jonathan, for for coming back again and uh, you know sharing all this uh, awesome knowledge. Th thanks a lot, Jonathan, for joining us again. Um, yeah. And, and we we'd love to have you back again in um, I don't know in in two years. Who knows? You'll find another thing that is not there on the internet yet, and then you write a book about it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that would be awesome. So that's it from us. And um, yeah, and uh, stay safe. And uh, we'll be soon back with yet another awesome episode. And uh, thanks again, Jonathan. Thanks again, Thank Jonathan. You. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Excellent stuff. Thank you for listening to this episode of DefN. And the awesome vegetarian music or the track is Melon Hamburger by Pizzeri. And the show's audio is mixed by Walter Dullert. I'm pretty sure I butchered his name. Um, maybe you should insert your own name here, Dullert. Walter. If you'd like to support us, uh, please do check out our Patreon page. And you can show your appreciation to all the hard work or the lack of hard work that we're doing. And um, you can also catch up with uh, either Ray, with me, for some unexplainable reason. Uh, you want to interact with us, then uh, do check us out on Slack, Closure in Slack or Closureverse, or on Zulip. 
or just at us at Deafen Podcast on Twitter. Enjoy your day and see you in the next episode.